Hey, welcome again to South Lansing Christian Church. I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. My name is Walter, and I'm the teaching and small groups minister here. And we are in the middle of this series this summer. We've been talking about sin and its effects upon our lives. We've called this series Fallout because Adam and Eve's first sin in the Garden of Eden has had ongoing repercussions in our world that continues on into to our relationships with one another, our relationships with creation, and our relationship with God. Human sin has consequences. Human sin has fallout. Now, every week we've talked about this. No discussion of fallout is complete with a, without a discussion of nuclear technology. And when Jamie and I lived in central Illinois, many of the people from our church, many of the people from our town, in fact, worked at the, the Clinton Power Station, which was a one megawatt power station just down the road from us. And because we lived inside of this 10-mile radius, the, the power station here is the star in the middle. Our house is a yellow box over in Clinton, and our church was literally across the water from the power station. Because of that, every year we would receive in the mail a flyer that detailed what we should do in the event of a nuclear emergency. And I got to tell you, I had a little trouble with this flyer because every year that flyer would say, this is the scariest part for me, it would say that because we live so close to the power plant, the thing that we needed to do if there was an emergency was to go inside, close the doors, barricade them, close the windows and the shutters and the blinds and stay put, don't go outside. How post-apocalyptic is that? I mean, I would, I would get this flyer in the mail and I would think of scenes from The Walking Dead and like, you know, the city of Atlanta completely emptied out. I had a hard time trusting that this was the right course of action. And I don't know if you, you know this or not, but government isn't always honest. And because of that, uh, my, my fears, my distrust of this flyer increased every year. Was this really the correct response in the event of an emergency? Is this really the thing that's going to, to keep my family the safest? Now, that's the thing about dishonesty. It breaks, it breaks trust. Because governments at times in human history have not been entirely forthcoming, my response upon receiving this flyer was to not trust it. And maybe for you, when somebody has been dishonest with you in the past, it makes you begin to doubt the words that they say to you now. Because dishonesty breaks trust and lies distort community. That's what we're talking about today. Lies distort community. We're talking about commandment number nine in Exodus 20. I've got to confess, I have trouble with liars. I become very judgmental when I find out somebody has lied to me and... and and I tend to view everything that they say from that point forward with suspicion. And this has caused issues for me. Uh, a number of years ago in my youth group at the time, I had a student who just could not tell the truth, no matter what. And so if you had a good story, they had a better story. And if, you know, something amazing happened to you, well, something even more amazing happened to them. And even in moments where they were maybe caught in their falsehood or there was something that they were going to be dealing with consequences of. They, they could not own their stuff. And it was incredibly frustrating. I had trouble controlling myself around this person, my attitude, because I just knew that all the time they were lying to my face. And I mean, come on, who does that and is okay with themselves? How can they sleep at night? But I realized something over that time in 
And that's this, that the shortfalls that you recognize in others are often the ones that you struggle with personally. And if you're out there, you've probably witnessed this. If you've got kids, the things that you're like, wow, that behavior of my kid kind of grates on my personality. And then if you take a deep breath and pause for a minute, you realize, well, maybe that behavior that is driving you nuts in your own kids is something that you exhibit personally. This happens for us when we recognize sin in other people. Often the sins that we are most sensitive to and recognize easiest are the ones that we are, in fact, most familiar with. And so perhaps this is why Jesus said, remove the log from your own eye before you remove the speck from somebody else's. But for whatever reason, the more that I judged this kid in our youth group and the more that my relationship struggled with this person, the guiltier I was myself because dishonesty is not just a problem for other people. Dishonesty is something that God has had to work on my heart and in my life as well. Have you ever experienced that? Have you had those moments where you start judging somebody only to find out, oh yeah, I'm just as guilty? If that's you, if you've been there, then today is for you. And, and like I said, we're talking about dishonesty, about lying, about God's standard, which is the truth. And as, as we do so, as we dive in to Exodus 20, I hope that you'll be honest enough to let God do some work in your heart. So Exodus 20, why don't you find your, your way there in your Bibles this morning? I bet you can't guess which verses we're going to start this journey in. Anybody? Exodus 21 through 2. We, we've been here a few times. Maybe some of you can recite these by now. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments, and it's essential that when we approach the Ten Commandments, we read Exodus 21 through 2, and so we're going to do that. Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, from the place of your slavery. Now, we've been hitting these verses real hard each week, and that's because they set the scene for the ten words, the ten commandments that are happening next. Because these commandments are not what we often make them out to be. These, these commandments aren't a judgment against outsiders. These aren't a diatribe against the nations for their sin. There are passages in the Bible like that, but the ten commandments is not one of those passages. Instead, Exodus 20 contains instructions Ten words given to people who already belong to God. We talked about that last week. They'd already been rescued by him from slavery in Egypt. And so this is all important that the Israelites follow these commandments, follow these rules, because how they acted would reflect back on God. This is similar to how we make judgments about other people based on the people they associate with. So uh, if you see a kid misbehaving, you start to make some assumptions about their parents. If you see a you know, sports fan, maybe a, a Great Lakes Loons fan misbehaving at the Lugnuts game last night, then you, uh, you make some assumptions about their team. I guess like four of us went to the Lugnuts game. No, there's a bunch of you there. It was a great night last night. Your bad behavior reflects back on the people that you associate with. And, and so God gave the Israelites these 10 words, these 10 commandments, because their behavior would dis- display to the nations around them just who God was and just what he was like. The Israelites were called to be set apart, this this holy nation that would draw others into a relationship with God. And as they lived their lives, their behavior reflected back on God. 
Now, with all of that said, the Ten Commandments serve the same purpose for us, for God's family today. These are guidelines that better help us, that help us better live out the community of Christ's followers. And certainly following, or not following, breaking the Ten Commandments is, is disobeying God, and disobeying God is a sin. And so breaking the Ten Commandments is a sin, and it requires repentance and, and confession. But those two behaviors, repentance and confession, those are behaviors that should be exemplified by God's people. And that's what the Ten Commandments are about, the behavior among God's people as we freely admit our sins and as we freely continually, daily, turn back to God. So that's Exodus 20, the the beginning verses. We're going to skip over the next eight commandments because we've read those this summer. And we're going to jump to verse 16, commandment number 9. This is how that reads. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. This is today's keys verse. This is where we're going to land for a little bit. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Short and sweet. Again, it's one of those don't do this. In fact, Wally and I tossed around the idea for a, a minute or two about naming this series Don't. As in, hey, you think that's a good idea, but just don't. Just don't. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't kill. All these things. And for, for its part, this, this commandment is one of those verses, don't do this. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. But if you're like me, you remember the Ten Commandments from learning them in Sunday school or a children's song. And, and you remember the Ten Commandments a little differently. You remember them as uh, honor your parents, remember the Sabbath, uh, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, and don't lie. But upon closer examination here in Exodus 20, it's not don't lie, it's, it's don't testify falsely against your neighbor. And so I have to wonder when we approach this, does that mean don't lie? Does that mean precisely don't lie? Is, is that what we have learned and grown up with? Don't lie, is, is that what this verse says? And that's a good question. And, and it's essential that as, as people who study God's word that we start with what the text meant to the original hearers and then move into what the text means for us today. And so to answer this question, is lying and false testimony against your neighbor, are these two things the same? We're going to flip ahead a little bit to a couple places in God's law as he gives his Israelites, his people, some more instruction. So Deuteronomy 17, uh, you can flip there on your way to Deuteronomy chapter 19. In Deuteronomy 17, there's a passage where God talks about capital punishment among his people. And the only times that capital punishment could be meted out as a sentence was upon the the testimony of two or more witnesses who agreed, and those witnesses must be the ones to cast the first stone literally, quite literally. And so this was a, a precaution against a malicious witness coming along and attacking somebody and getting them sentenced to to death. And then Deuteronomy 19 contains a very similar set of instructions. Deuteronomy 19, starting in, in verse 15, it reads this way. You must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. The facts of the case may, must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness comes forward and accuses someone of a crime, then both the accuser and the accused must be, appear before the Lord by coming to the priests and judges in office at that time. The judges must investigate the, the case thoroughly. And then listen to this, because this is, as the kids said five years ago, wild. 
If the accuser has brought false charges against his fellow Israelite, you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the other person. In this way, you will purge such evil from among you. How about that? Can you imagine if our legal system worked this way? I think there would be significantly fewer lawsuits, right? These mentions of false testimony in Deuteronomy, along with a few other references in God's law, the first five books, make it pretty clear that that commandment number nine was intended to be understood in the context of of the Israelites' legal system. So commandment number nine is not just do not lie. Commandment number nine is do not lie in a court setting. So if that's the case, what do we do with that? Because we as people of God, we want to follow God's laws and we want to understand what God wants for us. What do we do with this? Do not lie in a a court setting. Does that mean we can lie everywhere else? I think the answer is no, pretty obviously. And and that's where the the rest of the witness of Scripture comes into. And as as we flip on over to James chapter 3 today, what we're going to talk about is the fact that our words have power. That in the court of law for the Israelites, whatever that looked like to them back then, their words whether truthful or untruthful, had significant power, had significant consequences. And for us today, it's the same way. James chapter 3, James is the brother of Jesus, and he writes this whole section on on controlling our tongues. And he talks about how our words have power. It's like a a rudder, a small thing. Our tongues can can steer an entire ship the same way the words that come out of our mouth have, have the power of life and death over others. Our words have power in that Just like a fire can cause incredible destruction, but is caused by only a spark, the words that come out of our mouth might seem small and inconsequential, but they can cause incredible destruction. This is all James chapter 3. And then James says this in verse 13. He says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, by doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. There's a couple words in this section that are associated with lying. Jealousy and selfish ambition. James mentions those a couple times here. And those really strike right at the heart of of commandment number nine. This passage in James is a reminder of the power of our words and a reminder that not only is false testimony in a court of law prohibited among God's people, but also, according to James, our hearts can can lead us to misuse words and to be false to the truth and instead seek shameless self promotion. And that's perhaps the key to this entire discussion on lying and God's people. Because what is a lie if not an act of shameless self-promotion? I know many of our students are headed back to, to school this week, or some of you guys started last week. In the classroom, a lie is an act of self-promotion as you turn in somebody else's work or cheat on an assignment, a way to get ahead. 
at work a lie to, to keep yourself out of hot water or to protect your organization in some way. That's, that's again, it's, it's a chance for you to promote yourself as you try to protect yourself above everybody else. At home, a lie to, you know, keep the peace. It's not really loving. It's just a selfish way to avoid having conflict with someone that you probably need to have some discussions that need to be had. It's a way to prop up your reputation with a loved one. And in your friendships, a lie in a friendship shows that you value the friendship more than you value the friend. Because if you really value the friend, you tell them the truth. Instead, valuing the friendship, man, you value what you can get out of this person. Companionship, fun, excitement, something else. If you really love your friend, you tell them the truth. Now, I could go on, but the fact of the matter is this. Lies distort community. For the Israelites in, in Moses' day, a lie would undermine their confidence in this, this brand new legal system that God was setting up here in Exodus 20 in, in, in his law. The Israelites had just come out of Exodus, and God was giving them all of, these, all of these ways to settle disputes among them, and a lie in a court of law would have undermined their confidence in the judges and in the priests and in justice being meted out. For us today, dishonesty breaks community. It distorts community in the same way. It breaks down relationships. It causes unnecessary friction as we deal with a fallout of our sin. Now, my kids have recently been reading the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe some of you have read them. Fantastic books. Genesis is, she just finished up the, the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. This is our youngest back in, uh, in the spring. And, and for those of you who don't know, the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, it's got these four siblings, Lucy, Edmund, Susan, and Peter. And, and they all find their way into this magical land. And initially, it's just Lucy. Lucy goes through the wardrobe, and, and she has an adventure. And then she comes back, and she tells her older siblings all about it, and she is not believed. And that's really difficult for her. And She's pretty distraught, but she ends up back in Narnia again, and then her older brother Edmund happens to be there. They see each other, and Lucy is so excited because now she's going to be believed. Edmund can back up her story. There's this really painful moment when Lucy and Edmund get back, and they're talking to their older siblings, and Edmund just flat out betrays Lucy. He says, oh, this is a make-believe game that, that we were playing, and She's just telling stories, and the fallout of, of Edmund's lie just reverberates through the entire rest of the book. Initially, Lucy is, is so upset that, that the older siblings, Peter and Susan, come down hard on, on Edmund for being such a jerk, and then later on, they all end up in Narnia, and they see Edmund there, and he's been there, and so they realize that he's lied, and the shame that he feels sends him running away and straight into the control of the book's antagonist. And, and even later on, the, the pinnacle of the entire book really is dealing with the, the fallout, the, the results of Edmund's sin. Because lies distort community. Lies have ongoing consequences. And so if you haven't read the book, you really should. And the movies are fine, but the book is, is really good. I, I highly reckon, recommend it. But the point is lies have a way of coming back to us. And that's why God's standard is truth, a radical, unflinching commitment to the truth. And now not, not using the truth as a bludgeon, definitely 
speaking the truth in love and speaking the truth with grace. But, man, church, I, I think sometimes we've allowed the world outside of the church to define how we think about our faith instead of us and our faith defining how we relate to the world. And so the world outside of the church says, you don't need the truth to love. The world outside of the church says you can protect somebody by not sharing the truth with them. And so we find ourselves thinking it's more loving to withhold the truth when, when the, the, the most loving thing that you can do is share the truth because love shares truth freely. And so this morning I encourage you to seek the truth as the people of God. Seek the truth. How can we be people who live up to God's ideals and and avoid dishonesty and lying? We choose to seek the truth no matter what. James chapter 3 continues on in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is peace-loving. It is gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere and Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Look, the only way that we're ever going to learn to control our tongues, to harness the power of our words, and the only future in which we can adopt a radical commitment to the truth lived out in Jesus' name is is when we embody some of these characteristics here that James mentions. Being pure, choosing peace, being gentle at all times, yielding to others, living with humility, being sincere, showing no favoritism. These kinds of things are the exact opposite of of what James identifies above, jealousy, self-promotion. These kinds of things will lead us to take steps into the truth. And so, so this week, what can you do to seek the truth, to, to live a commitment to the truth, I think, I think it starts by taking a step back and recognizing the moments, the areas in which you are tempted to not seek the truth, to run away from the truth. And so for you, is it, is it pride? Is it pride that leads you to be false to the truth? Are you trying to save face at home or at work? Do you want others to think more highly of you? Are you trying to build up your reputation? Do you want to be admired? These are the kinds of things that lead us into moments of temptation where we can abandon the truth. The desire to be liked and admired, man, that's a weakness that many of us share. And so when it comes to your pride, in moments of pride, when you're tempted to abandon the truth, choose godly humility instead. And if it's not pride, if it's not pride, maybe it's your fear that causes you to be dishonest. Maybe there's something you don't want others to know. Maybe, maybe there are consequences waiting for you that you're not willing to face yet. Maybe you've made a mistake and it's yet to catch up with you and so you're, you're running, you're trying to kick that can on down the road. You don't want to share that truth because you're afraid. But the thing about fear is, is that when we're, when we're untruthful because of fear, We're not just kicking the can down the road and and able to avoid it. That stuff gets worse and worse, and that fear grows and grows. And so when it's fear that's holding you back from truth, choose confidence in God's grace instead. Because Jesus 
He died for you while you were still a sinner and and God meets you where you are, but God doesn't leave you where you are. If it's not fear, if it's not pride, maybe it's jealousy like James talks about here. Maybe jealousy is what's pushing you into moments of untruth. You want what somebody else has, their possessions, their status, their family, their relationships, something else. And so, and so you build up stories to inflate yourself and stories to bring somebody else down. And that can happen even in church. I've seen it happen in church. So choose love instead of jealousy and, and celebrate the way in which God has blessed others. As, as scripture tells us, godliness with contentment is great gain. So whether it's fear or it's pride or it's jealousy, choose instead to adopt the attitudes, the positions that James talks about here. Being peace-loving, being pure, being gentle, being willing to yield to others, being full of mercy and full of good deeds. As we wrap up this morning, I want to remind you once again that the Ten Commandments were given to a people who already belonged to God. And that's important because even though they were God's people, they were tempted time and time again to wander away from him. The fallout of human sin continued to cloud their perspective. It's no different for us today. Man, we are the people of God. If you've come to Jesus and made him the Lord of your life and baptism, you're part of God's family. And yet, how many times a week, how many times a day are you tempted to act in ways which break God's law? which take you steps further away from Jesus instead of closer to him. When it comes to the truth, we definitely need these kinds of reminders from Exodus 20, that God's people shall not testify falsely against their neighbors. And you know, telling the truth, honesty might be the most important when it's going to cost you the most. When there's a job on the line, there's a relationship hanging in the balance, when there are real dollars at play, that's when God, asks, uh, God expects you to step up and to honor him. Lies distort community, they break trust, and God, God is calling his people to be people who embrace the truth. And so will you join me in prayer this morning? God, we're here as your people in this place today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Exodus, for the Ten Commandments, what they can teach us. Father God, we're so thankful for Jesus and that he calls us out of darkness into, into the light. And that then we, in turn, get to be people who represent him, represent you. And God, I'm thankful for those opportunities. I pray this week that as we head out from here, that you would work in our hearts, that you would put thoughts in our minds, that that we would begin to wrestle with how we're living, and that we would choose obedience in faith, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you can grow your fruit in us. And so I pray this week, God, that if there are, are ways in which we are not being honest, ways in which we're shielding ourselves from the truth or choosing lies in other areas, that, they, that you would bring those to our attention, that we would be willing to, to boldly follow you in steps of faith and to deal with these areas of dishonesty, and that we would seek the truth and live it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.